Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And it is day three of the Donald Trump George Conway Twitter fight. Who's winning out? I don't know. Conway, I think, getting the best of that battle, driving Donald Trump crazy, <laughs> not to mention driving his wife crazy. What do you say, everybody? Here we go on a Friday. Yes, it's me on a Friday. I, I don't know how I got trapped into this, but good to see you today uh, and good to be with you. Hope you're doing well wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours or anywhere on the planet. Following us here on The Bill Press Show and joining us to talk about the news of the day this Friday, March 22, 2019. Yes, indeed, uh, the uh flap between George Conway and Donald Trump uh, continues, both firing back at each other yesterday on Twitter, their favorite medium. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, for the fourth day this week, fourth or fifth day this week, can't resist taking another side swipe at uh, the late John McCain on a day when the Bishop of Washington uh, actually rebukes Donald Trump uh, uh, and the head of the National Cathedral and tells Donald Trump, no, you are lying. We did not need your permission to hold a memorial service for John McCain in the National Cathedral. You, Donald Trump, had nothing to do with it. And Washington is just nervous with excitement about what everybody says is the pending, any minute now, Robert Mueller report. But, of course, we've heard that for the last year and a half. I don't know why people are excited now. I don't believe it. Anyhow, all of that to talk about and a hell of a lot more here on this Friday. We want to hear from you as well. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Let us know what you think about the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. But first... 
This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Now, remember it was, I guess it was last week, we talked about the big cocaine bust up in New York. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, there was another one in Philadelphia last night. Yes, indeed. Joseph Mantello, uh, or Martello, uh, gives the details about a 1,200-pound, $38 million bust in Philadelphia. Overall, Tuesday's seizure is CBP's fourth-largest cocaine seizure of record in the Port of Philadelphia. Fourth-largest in the Port of Philadelphia. It's the biggest one that Philadelphia has seen in over 20 years. Again, 1,200 pounds of cocaine worth $38 million. Oh, man, that's why we need that wall. That's right. That man. wall yeah, around apparently. Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what would Trump's wall do to stop the cocaine traffic into New York? And Nothing. Philadelphia. And Philadelphia. And, yeah, of course. Nothing. No, you're right. You build a wall around the whole country, even off the off the coast. Uh, okay, this, this story feels like something I shouldn't have to say, but I'm going to say anyway, because yesterday... Uh, the Auschwitz Memorial Museum had to put out a tweet telling people, stop taking (laughs) disrespectful photos at Auschwitz. One of the things that is a trend there, as as you know, there are train tracks that run into Auschwitz. And people are sort of balancing on them and taking photos with the camp in the background. And Auschwitz is saying, they actually put out a tweet uh, saying, when you come to Auschwitz Museum, remember you are at the site where over one million people were killed. Respect their memory. There are better places to learn how to walk on a balance beam than the site which symbolizes deportation of hundreds of thousands to their deaths. Have a little common sense. Uh, some people are just... Just have a little common sense. Pigs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, this is not... a like This is sort of a thing in the age of social media, right? Other sites of concentration camps that have been converted to museums and memorials have had to say the same thing, right? <laughs> Stop taking, uh, you know, self-serving photos that you can put up on Instagram. Well, related to this, um, there are other places like in national parks that have suddenly become hugely popular because somebody oh, yeah. does a little social media photo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Does Joe Biden have a big surprise in store? Whoa. That little rumor uh, started by Axios yesterday, reported, I should say, by Axios yesterday, has Washington buzzing this morning uh, about the newest entry, or soon to be maybe the newest entry, into the 2020 presidential campaign on the part of the former vice president, what do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Friday, Friday, March 22, 2019, it is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. We welcome you to the program with open arms. Uh, you're very much part of the program. The most important guests that we have are all of you every single day. Uh, and we join. We love seeing you, whether you're joining us online, on the radio, or on television on the radio, of course, on WCPT Chicago and all the ver- the roundabout area roundabout Chicago. Welcome back to the program. Again, big mayor's race out there. Very, very exciting. Uh, on the radio, also statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks. 
Look at you on Free Speech TV, looking good this morning, and all of you also joining us online all around the globe on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. Welcome to our roundup of the news of the day. And don't forget, what really uh, makes it work is when you tell us what you think about the news of the day, and you can do so anytime on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. As we are coming on the air, ABC News is uh, breaking the news uh, that according to their reporting, they have learned that there will be no more indictments from the special counsel's office, which may be the best sign yet that the Robert Mueller report is about to drop or the Mueller investigation is about to wind up. Again, we've heard this before. Uh, according to Rudy Giuliani, it was going to end not last November, but the November the Thanksgiving before last November, even Thanksgiving of 2017. So you got to take all of this with a grain of salt. Uh, but there are signs. Uh, Andrew Weissman, one of the chief investigators uh, in Robert Mueller's office, has left his post. There's an op-ed in the New York Times this morning by James Comey about what he would like to see in the Mueller report. Actually, Mueller was cited yesterday. I have no idea where that was, but there was a, a Robert Mueller sighting in Washington. You know, that's as rare as a pileated woodpecker yeah. or an ivory-billed woodpecker, right? It's yeah. very rare. Yeah. It's happened. I think my favorite one was when they spotted Robert Mueller and Donald Trump Jr. at the same gate oh, yeah, at National right. Airport. Right, yeah. Uh, not talking to each other. No, 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 no. So uh, so there are all, all these rumors about when the report is going to drop, what might be in the rumor. Donald Trump is certainly all aware of that. Uh, i just be honest with you. We have nothing new to report on that other than what ABC News is saying. Um, they're a pretty good news operation. So if they're right, uh, we could see them on a report in a matter of weeks. And remember, the last word from Donald Trump on this is that the Mueller report should be made public. Um, now, that news is almost as big as the other news. I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, those of you um, loyal, regular viewers and listeners here to the Bill Press Show, uh, that Peter and I have a thing about Starbucks, okay? Neither one of us like it. No, I'm not a fan. We always dump on it. Seldom go there. Might go there for an iced tea once in a while if I'm stuck, right? But sometimes rate, if I'm at an airport, I'll I'll cave and I'll get like a cup of coffee from Starbucks, and then I always regret it. <laughs> Cause, always, because you pay too much. You pay too much, and it's not and, great. And then you know people might see you at a Starbucks, and they, they might think I'm a Howard Schultz voter. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I got got to salute Starbucks today because they announced yesterday they are going to start experimenting with introducing recyclable cups and oh, nice. compostable cups. By the way, that's a that's a big contribution. That's like right up there with getting rid of plastic straws. Yeah, sure. Which uh, more and more people are doing, but more and more people are still not yet doing. Every time Carol and I go out for dinner or lunch or something, and they have plastic straws, she throws a little s fit, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, uh, and but I thought this move on the part of Starbucks is uh, it's a good one. It makes a lot of sense, and I hope a lot of other people will follow. Follow their lead. I mean, you have right? to think about think about all that trash. Yeah, right? and think about how there is a Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a, it's an old yeah. cliche joke, right? But there's a Starbucks on every corner. 
And, uh, yeah, to think that they're going to be uh, making that sort of impact is great. Right. That's great. Good yeah. for them. Right. Still not going to drink their coffee. <laughs> Except maybe once in a while. Yeah. yeah. You, just, you just submitted that. Anyhow. So um, just for the one chance probably in the history of this program, you'll hear us say, good for Starbucks. Schultz 2020. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> We're going to go that far. <laughs> not going to go that far. He's no longer there. Yeah, right. Anyhow. Uh, but by the way, I think the most exciting news story of the day, there's, there's a lot, not a lot of new news today, but a lot of news has happened this week. But something that just broke right after uh, we start, uh, ended the show yesterday, uh, and we didn't have a chance to talk about it, is the, what was reported by Axios that Joe Biden may, uh, who, it, look, he's going to run. Let's stop speculating. He's going to run. The only question is, when's he going to announce? He's calling people. He's raising money. He's put his. He's got his staff together. He's talking about it. He slipped up last Saturday, uh, uh, in that speech at Democratic to the Democratic big Democratic dinner over in Dover, Delaware, um, in describing himself as someone who is running. And they said, "Well, might run." Uh, at any rate, the word that Mike Allen from Axios reported yesterday is, according to a couple of sources inside the Biden camp. Uh, that he's considering, you know, I got to make a splash. I got to make a difference. I can't just be number 16 to come in just like all the rest. I got to do something different, number one. Number two, I got to do something that's going to generate some excitement. Uh, number three, I got to do something maybe to balance out the fact that I am older, 76, that I am a male. Can't do much about that. And that I'm a white male. So here's an idea. And according to Mike Allen, what Joe Biden is seriously considering is announcing at the same at the same time that he announces for president, he announces his vice presidential running mate. And it would be the one that the only one that they've talked to, again, according to Axios, uh, is not one of the 15 who's already announced or 14 or 15, whatever it is, but someone very exciting, but who's not announced, not yet running for president, and that is former and unsuccessful, sadly, gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, who was the minority head of the Georgia legislature. She's got that legislative experience. She ran for governor, uh, generated a lot of excitement around the country, uh, became such a rock star that she was asked to respond to the State of the Union address this year and did a great job. Uh, Joe Biden, Stacey Abrams, from the beginning, uh, I think would be a very powerful, very bold, and very exciting and very successful move for Joe Biden. Again, I'm not addressing anybody yet. I, I just think if uh, Joe Biden's, um, if, if the Biden camp and Joe Biden himself if their goal is to really shake things up and really make a big difference, that would be um, that would be a, a ten stroke, as far as I'm concerned. The thing that's most interesting about this rumor and this story that's going around is how so many you could the, the candidates are really differentiating themselves by running very unconventional campaigns. Yeah, this yeah. is the year that I think everybody realizes. You Things can, aren't normal anymore. You can almost do anything you want. These Re, 
Honestly. Look at Beto driving sure. around his pickup truck, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at what Beto O'Rourke is doing. You look at what Elizabeth Warren is doing. Yeah. Uh, you look at the rumors around Joe Biden's run. The money they're making on uh, from you small contributions. Yang, just, uh, you know, it's a- Andrew Yang, who's very, getting a very lot of attention. Unconventional campaigns. Uh, here's a gay former mayor of South Bend, yeah. Indiana, that like nobody ever heard of and whose name nobody can pronounce. Right. <laughs> who is getting a lot of serious attention, and rightfully so. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg. So, you know, I, I think this is the year for doing things un, uh, in an unconventional manner and doing things differently. And for Joe Biden, uh, the oldest one running, I think he's... Older than Bernie, even isn't he, or maybe I the same age? Think Let's so. Check that out. Yeah, I'll look right now. Uh, at any rate, for him to do something like this, I think would be uh, again out of character for Joe Biden, but would really get uh, America's uh, attention. And uh, you Bernie know, you got, is slightly older than Joe yeah. Biden, by the way. And you got to love Stacey Abrams; she is great. Everybody wants her to run for Senate. They want to run for governor again. There was even talk that she might run for president this time. She herself. Said that she that she considered it, um, and um, uh, and and the other thing is, it would um, it would help Joe Biden not only with the with balancing out the fact that he is an older white male, uh, but there things the, his treatment of Anita Hill he gets criticized for a uh, long time ago, but still he was chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, at one time, he opposed busing, which is which is a trouble, a troubling fact that he's going to have to deal with, um, and also the the crime bill, which he's criticized for, which was particularly excessively hard on um, uh, uh, outrageous um, prison terms, particularly for younger African Americans, uh, having an African American on the ballot with him, uh, female. Uh, and someone as outstanding as Stacey Abrams, I think, would be a big plus. So, uh, I'd love to take your hear your take on that. Uh, on Joe Biden, Stacey Abrams uh, as his vice presidential running mate, and announcing that from the very beginning. I saw several articles yesterday, a commentary about from people saying, "Oh, this is just a gimmick, and people will see it as a gimmick, and they won't take it seriously." Um, I, I disagree. I think it's more than that. I think it would be, be a brilliant move. By the way, historically, it does hasn't always worked. Way, way back, Ronald Reagan uh, thought had this sort of idea, and he um, named Richard Schweiker, who was then Republican unknown, basically, senator from Pennsylvania, uh, as his running mate. Uh, that didn't work. He lost to Jerry Ford. Um, there was one other. Oh, I know. Ted Cruz. I was about to say. Yeah. Ted Cruz and Carly Fiorina, yeah. right, last time around. That lasted about a week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know. I it, mean, everybody forgets that except Ray, who's got a, a Cruz and Fiorina right. T-shirt. Right? That's right. Still <laughs> still very proudly <laughs> repping uh, Cruz and Fiorina. So it, it hasn't always worked in the past, but uh, it, it could be could be different this time. I think it would be. And to be fair, it the certainly Cruz, set him apart. The Cruz fee or anything really was kind of like a Hail Mary oh, totally. when it looked like it was over for him and he had to sort of do something yeah. drastic. Uh, I don't think that's the same case here with Joe Biden at all. You know, whether also, it works or not, we'll just have to see. Right? I also think it would be very hard for Elizabeth Warren or Beto or Kamala Harris 
to attack Joe Biden for it. Yeah, I don't see how you can attack him. No, no that's all a good they can say is it's a gimmick. That's a gimmicky thing. You don't really, well, you know, look, Stacey Abrams is a very serious candidate, and whether uh, exactly she runs for Senate. Right. Or whether she continues her good work on uh, voting reform, or whether she is Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate, uh, she has a very, very, very bright future in politics. I don't think that that's a gimmick. No, right? I don't either. And and by the way, the end result of this, if successful, and I think would be a very powerful ticket against Donald Trump, you, you got Donald Trump and Mike Pence up against Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams, you tell me who's going to generate the excitement in the in this country. But the, if the end result, if successful, would be something that all of us w- would celebrate, certainly a, the first female vice president of the United States, an African-American from Georgia. Now, huge. If for whatever reason this, this Just happens, yeah. and if for whatever reason Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams wins, whenever there's a transition— Someone's going to have to be in the room with Mike Pence and Stacey Abrams, you know, because he can't be in, alone oh, in a that's room with right. a woman. No, yeah, ever. Well, uh, mother <laughs> would mother would have to be there. Mother would have to be there <laughs> yeah, to make sure. Uh, uh, Eddie, I'd love I'd love to have your take on that. You know how to do it uh, on uh, on Twitter at BP Show. What do you think? We Biden, just put up a poll Abrams. on that, by the way. Did you? We just put okay. up a poll so you can go vote and comment on it. Yeah, we'll get some of those a little bit later on in the show. I'm telling you. A little breaking news. Man, we drop a poll. Yeah. <laughs> but that's one way to get you involved in it. Really. Give okay. the people yeah. what they want. Well, wouldn't you know it. Um, <laughs> a little bit of breaking news today. Hmm. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump are in a little bit of trouble for, of all things, using a private email server in the White House for national security issues and even in the part of Jared Kushner, communicating with foreign leaders. Uh, we've heard these rumors b- before, but this word came yesterday from Congresswoman Elijah Cummings, who is chair of the House Oversight Committee, who says the reason they know this is because uh, that uh, Jared and Ivanka's private attorney, Abby Lowell, um, told members of Congress uh, when he testified before them that, yes, Jared and Ivanka had both used a private email server, uh, and that in addition to that, Jared had used an app called, or a, it's a program, WhatsApp, right? I, I've seen it. I've never used it. But uh, it is a way of sending documents back and forth and messages back and forth. And, it, and their the, big thing is that it's it's encrypted. Nobody can see it. Yeah. And... You know, it, it's it's available for everybody. Right. Everybody. And uh, according to Abby Lowell, according to Elijah Cummings, according to Abby, or Abby, Abby Lowell, Jared Kushner used WhatsApp to communicate with the acting head of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, so, <laughs> of course, the uh, the hypocrisy here is that were the two planks, right, in Donald Trump's presidential campaign one was build the wall, build the wall. The other was lock her up, lock her up, because Hillary Clinton used a private email server as Secretary of State. Here's Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump in the White House using a private email server. How could they, I mean, after that entire campaign that they were part of, which made such a big deal about this, 
even though the FBI found that Hillary Clinton, while she was careless, had done nothing wrong, they go ahead and do the same damn thing. And of course, it's okay for them to do it. It wasn't okay for Hillary, but it's perfectly okay for Jared and Ivanka. Just saying. The height of hypocrisy. Pretty terrible. Haven't heard Donald Trump comment about that at all, by the way. I'm just... You're not going to hear him comment. <laughs> no, <about that. laughs> no. No, I don't think he's going to comment on that one, Bill. No, actually, uh, today they have scheduled a news conference where Donald Trump is going to apologize for Hillary Clinton for yeah. making such a big deal about the private emails because he his uh, daughter and son-in-law have done the same thing. Folks, I don't know Jared Kushner. I don't know Ivanka Trump. <laughs> They're staffers that work in the White House. Never saw him before. Never seen him. Never heard of him. Who? Yeah. No clue. <laughs> Jared who? Uh, a couple of little foreign policy uh, uh, updates. Um, we uh, learned yesterday that uh, uh, on Brexit, the EU leaders – so Theresa May went into uh, the, the EU saying basically, I want to come up and I went a long time and I want to try to figure this out and you've got to uh, – you know, got to help us out here. And basically the EU said, no, we're tired of playing your games. We'll give you until April 12th. We gave, they said they gave him a short leash, said you figure this out by April 12th or else you're out of Brexit. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Tick-tock, tick-tock, right. Uh, <clears throat> what they ought to do, of course, is have another vote. I think the people of England would roundly uh, defeat any effort to get out of the EU after having done it once and making a big mistake. But at any rate, they've got until April 12th. And the other thing we learned once again that who is um, who's in charge of American foreign policy when it comes to the Middle East? It is not Donald Trump. It is not Jared Kushner. It is not Mike Pompeo. It is Bibi Netanyahu. Um, Donald Trump yesterday saying that uh, the United States is ready to recognize the territorial sovereignty of the Golan Heights seized by. Um, the, by Israel in the uh, 1967 war. Um, you know, again, that might be the eventual outcome. That might be the right thing to do. It's not something that should be dictated by the United States, in my humble opinion. Uh, also, in the opinion of George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, it's always been the policy of the United States, that these are issues that should be decided between Israelis and Palestinians at the peace table as part of some eventual uh, resolution for, toward peace in the Middle East. But Donald Trump intervened yesterday doing exactly what Bibi Netanyahu has asked him to do and pleaded with him to do because, and doing it now because, of course, Bibi is up for re-election on April 9, um, having been recommended to be tra tried on bribery uh, by the, uh, the, the, the Attorney General of Israel. Uh, he's in a little bit of electoral trouble, so Donald Trump is helping him out. This is a purely political move on Donald Trump's part. Uh, Bibi, of course, exceedingly grateful. This evening, I just want to say one word, two actually. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Pompeo. Thank you, President Trump. And thank you, America. Uh, and uh, this is the third time by my count. The first was in pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. Donald Trump did that because Bibi Netanyahu asked him to. Uh, secondly was, of course, moving the American embassy. Again, maybe the right thing to do eventually. It's always, it's been talked about a long time. No other president had done it because they felt that it should be part of peace negotiations. 
Donald Trump, BB, asked him to do it. Donald Trump moved the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and now he is giving Israel sovereignty or supporting Israel sovereignty uh, over the Golan Heights. Um, and Bibi Netanyahu also will be welcomed to the White House on Monday by the president, another part of his effort to help Bibi get reelected. Meanwhile, a um, little spat between uh, <laughs> George Conway and uh, Donald Trump continues. Um, Conway yesterday, hmm, this computer is so slow, I'm not sure I can pull it up. Um, yes. If I can take the mic, go for it. Yeah, man. Yeah, sure. So uh, Conway was tweeting out yesterday uh, three three tweets. Number one about Donald Trump: "Quote, he lies even when it makes no sense to lie." As one of his lawyers told once told me, Trump couldn't be allowed to talk to Robert Mueller because he would lie his ass off. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds right. He followed up with a tweet saying, so the two keys to understanding Trump are narcissism and compulsive prevarication. Uh, He followed that up with a third tweet, George Conway, about Donald Trump. Yes, he's the worst kind of dumb. Which which follows up, actually, yesterday, I thought my favorite tweet of George Conway's, in response to Donald Trump saying that he was a husband from hell, <laughs> George Conway simply tweeted three words, you are nuts. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that this little feud has continued all week long. But, of course, Donald Trump won't let it up. George Conway won't let it up. And we just wonder about <clears throat> evening meals at the Conway household. This is like th- this is something that we've said so many times. This is the stuff that Donald Trump loves, right? It's not about leading the country or or advancing progress or anything. Mm. He loves Lo- these caddy fights. Loves these. Loves them. They love me. Loves these <laughs> spats. Right. Exactly. Um, and of course, the other spat that's continued all week is Donald Trump, which started last Saturday. Can't let go of this one either. Uh, took it all the way out to Ohio with him, brought it back to the White House yesterday. Donald Trump cannot, just cannot give up um, poking at, smearing uh, the late John McCain. He did so again yesterday on Fox News with Maria Bartiromo, uh, and she's saying, you know, what? Are you, why are you spending your time on this? You spent a good portion of your time in Ohio the other day trashing John McCain. Senator John McCain is dead. Why are you doing this? So it's not a good portion of my time. It's a very small portion. But if you realize uh, about uh, three days ago, it came out that his main person gave to the FBI the fake news dossier. It was a fake. It was a fraud. It was paid for by Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. They gave it to John McCain, who gave it to the FBI for very evil purposes. Uh, That's not good. And the other thing, he voted against repeal and replace. Now, he's been campaigning for years for repeal and replace. Uh, I'm not a fan. After all of this time, he's he's, think of this. Repeal and replace. We would have had great health care. But, Mr. President, he's dead. He can't punch back. I know uh, you punch back, but he's dead. I don't talk about it. People ask me the question. What do you mean he doesn't talk about it? People ask him the question. Last Saturday and Sunday, when he was at the White House and started this feud, 
There was no news conference. There was no scrum of reporters. Nobody asked him about it. Out of the blue, he comes out with the tweet accusing John McCain of being a traitor because he uh, suggested the FBI might want to look into these charges uh, that were contained in the Steele dossier report. And and Donald Trump, uh, John McCain readily admits that he did give that report to the FBI, and he's he did, he insists correctly, in my opinion, he, that he did the right thing. Uh, but anyhow, the whole thing is Trump just cannot let go of this, uh, and um, get starting to get a little feedback. Uh, sadly, I believe um, the only thing we've heard from maybe you could count them on one hand, Republican senators who have responded by praising John McCain, but but not criticizing Donald Trump. They're afraid to do that. They'll say nice things about McCain, but they won't say that Donald Trump is wrong to be attacking him. Uh, but the other response yesterday came from the Episcopal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., the head of the National Cathedral, who put out a public statement saying, no, Mr. President, you had nothing to do with John McCain's funeral. You did not approve it. We did not ask your permission that the decision to hold memorial services in the National Cathedral are entirely a matter between the cathedral and the family, in this case of John McCain, and that the only time that the White House gets involved at all is when there's a former president who is uh, honored uh, by a memorial service at the National Cathedral. Um, the Bishop of Washington just putting that, putting that down and saying, don't claim credit for John McCain's funeral, Mr. President. You had nothing to do with it. All kinds of other stuff going on. In fact, the big issue that uh, one big issue was talked about this week, uh, in addition to George Conway and Donald Trump, is uh, maybe getting rid of the Electoral College. Is that possible? How will we do it? That and other issues we'll get into with Addie Baird from Think Progress coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. Give us a quick break, and we'll be right back with you. This is The Bill Press Show. You bet it is. The Bill Press Show on a Friday. Friday, uh, March 22nd. Great to see you today. Uh, let's give a little shout-out to the American Federation of Teachers that bring you the program today, sponsors of the program today. Under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten, boy, they are stirring things up and doing great work around the country uh, from state after state after state. The teachers are going out on strike and um, winning some great concessions for them, not just for themselves, but for their schools, for their students. Uh, we salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Check out their website, all the latest uh, on the teachers' front at AFT.org. And here with us for this next half hour from Think Progress, our good friend Addie Baird on many, many topics. Hello, Addie. Good All morning. Right. Nice to see you. Always Thank you. Always good to be here. We um, have been hearing from our viewers and listeners for the last uh, 35 minutes or so, and uh, let's check in. Peter. All right. Let's start out with the poll that we currently have up right now at BP Show on, on Twitter. Oh, I voted in this poll. All would right. You <laughs> vote, would you vote for a Biden-Abrams ticket in the primary and general election? Oh, this is oh, this is the new one. This one up today. This one up just now. Just, just now. now, right? Uh, thirty-two percent of you say yes. 
46% of you say no, and 22% of you are undecided. Now, let me just be clear. Everybody that has commented on this has said that they would vote for this ticket in the general election oh, if yeah, it's this yeah. versus Trump. Oh. Yes, they would vote for Don, uh, uh, Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams yeah, against but Donald you gotta Trump. you got to get through the primary first. got to get through the primary. Let me just read some of the comments. Max says, I would never vote for Biden in a primary, <laughs> but absolutely in the general if he was the nominee. Page echoes that, says, yes, for the general, hell no to the primary. Uh, and Michael McAllister says, no, I cannot vote for Joe Biden in the primary. Uh, somebody else points out that this is sort of a a desperate look for Joe Biden uh, at this stage. Um, also, uh, Alfeo Barry on Twitter says, what if Elizabeth Warren says, great idea, Joe. Maybe I'll go ahead and announce my running mate, and it's going to be Stacey Abrams. <laughs> so if somebody could beat Biden to the punch and say that they're going to get Stacey Abrams before he does. Uh, well, the, the problem with that little theory is that Stacey is the one who decides. Yes, of course. Right. Yes. I mean, the so. other thing that I think is, is interesting, I don't totally buy this story because Abrams, I mean, again, I, I don't, I you know, I'm not, I, I don't have any inside info here. But, like, I, uh, someone was pointing out yesterday, like, Abrams, not that long ago, was on, I think, like, The Tonight Show or something, some late night show, talking about how upset she was with the Anita Hill trial. And she didn't use Biden's name, but she right. said, like, she, like, said she's never really forgiven the people who mistreated Anita Hill. Among them, chief among them, is Joe Biden. So I, I'm, I'm questionable on well, this what, story. What's, what, what's absent in this whole discussion is any word from Stacey Abrams. Right. As to whether she would accept this. Exactly. I and mean, last week there were stories that she's still thinking about running yeah. for president herself. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, other comments before? Let's just leave it at that. All and right. if you have any other comments, find us on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll try and get some more of those later on. In the I program. just wanted to make uh, maybe a, 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 a pain in the ass comment here. Well, that's what you do. But It is your show. <laughs> it is your show. <laughs> but if, if Joe, if, let's say Biden Abrams got 32%. But there are 46% have, they said they would vote no. Yeah. Okay. But this is a primary of 15 candidates, let's say. Yeah. So that yeah. 46% yeah. would be spread sure. among 15 people. If they get 32%, they win it. That's, I'm just that's, pointing that's out the point. math here. That's a fair point. Right. Uh, also, it, The let's... math is better than it looks like when you when you say 46 to 32. Oh, they lost by 14 points. Uh, I'm also I, I will make my own uh, snarky comment here and say I'm not convinced that the Bill Press Twitter followers are a representative sample of the Democratic Party. <laughs> fair. That also is the worst thing fair. that's ever been said on this show. <laughs> very fair. <laughs> How dare you? Okay. Uh, but it does. See, we're, we're talking about it. That's what it would do. It would certainly, <laughs> certainly liven up the race indeed. Didn't we do a um, poll in the Electoral College? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. I'll I'll, re I'll read those a little bit later if you want. Oh, okay. Well, I wanted to ask. Uh, uh, we did. We did do a poll on the electoral college. Idea about it. So, yeah. the, the the headline maybe. No. Okay. <laughs> Should right. we get rid of the electoral college? Uh, Eighty-seven percent of you said yes. Seven percent of you said no. Six percent of you said you are undecided. All right. <laughs> yeah. Island's no. a little clear. Yeah, for yeah. This, that, that was pretty one-sided for this. Uh, 
listener base of the Bill Press Show that you just <laughs> slammed. <laughs> uh, it's pretty one-sided here, right? Uh, and um, we have Elizabeth Warren, who's others have raised it too. Uh-huh. But in the CNN town hall Monday night with Jake Tapper is where she got this prolonged standing ovation for this statement. You know, come a general election, presidential candidates don't come to places like Mississippi. Yeah, they also come to places like California and Massachusetts, right? Because we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen... is that we can have national voting, and that means get rid of the Electoral College. All right, there you go. And Elizabeth Warren has endorsed that. Or the, I mean, I'm sorry, that is Elizabeth. Kamala Harris has also endorsed it. So has Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I think Beto O'Rourke as well. I mean, basically across the board. Uh, how could it happen? Well, it's... It's starting to happen, interestingly enough. Um, A number of states, most recently Colorado um, and uh, 11 other states and the District of Columbia, have passed uh, signed bills into law where the electoral votes from their state would go to whoever wins the national popular vote. So this is sort of this movement to, uh, on the state level, get rid of the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. It would only go into effect if enough states sign sign bills into law that would add up to 270 electoral votes. I know it's 12 states and the D.C., but how many electoral votes that is now? I I, I don't remember, and I think the math is a little... I think... uh, I I would have to check, but I think that there's a few paths that that people think that this could really happen. Um, it gets a little funky, of course. This is you know, not something that... Cal- if you add California and New York to it, for example. Exactly. you get a hell of a lot closer. Exactly. A lot faster. Um, so, yeah, this is how... This is, uh, I think, the most realistic version of how we actually get rid of the Electoral College is that it happens on a state level, not on the federal level. <laughs> right. And otherwise, it would take a constitutional amendment. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, but, um, look, it's... it's, 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 it's as history shows, you know, it's certainly a holdover from Civil War days, from slavery days. I mean, it was there so the slave states could have more power, more representation. It just doesn't fit today. Right. Right. It's and a really outdated system. we've presidents in this, syst- in this century who got into the White House after losing the popular vote. Yeah, it's an incredibly outdated system. So, so. <laughs> no, so I think it's a great issue for them to be. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and I also think, you know, this is one of the great things about the Democratic primary. The few great things through this exhausting primary is that people are really talking about um, issues like this that we hadn't really been talking about before. Right before that clip that you played, Elizabeth Warren endorsed um, a voting rights uh, constitutional amendment, um, which would be a right to vote amendment. And I know a lot of people are surprised. Like, it, it, there's no right to vote enshrined in the Constitution. And doing so would give uh, would give Congress the ability to set national standards for voting 
um, and to make sure that uh, there's sort of a minimum baseline for ballot access across the whole country. And I think we don't talk enough about that either. That could be really valuable. Right. You know, on the uh, what you point out, the one of the one of the uh, just exciting things I think about this Democratic primary, which all of us kind of groaned that you know it's already kicked off and we got two two we're going to have two years of this, is um, I ran into and 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 aside uh, last night I ran into a man that I admire very very much, former um, majority leader of the Senate Tom Daschle. Oh, interesting. And Senator Daschle made the point that we're making. But isn't it great? They're talking such big ideas out there right now, whether it's Medicare for all, the wealth tax, getting rid of the Electoral College. I mean, these are these are big deals. Expanding the Supreme Court. And that's that's going to just get to that one. Expanding the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. Which you've also been writing about. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Which is a little, I think. Yeah, it's it's big an idea, maybe not as clear cut yes. as getting rid of the electoral yeah. college. It's definitely not um, as clear cut. It's a complicated issue, but it's really interesting. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Beto O'Rourke, and Pete Buttigieg have all sort of expressed some openness to expanding the the Supreme Court. Um, uh, Beto and Buttigieg both talked a little bit about a 15-member court where Republicans would pick five, Democrats would pick five, and then those 10 would have to unanimously agree upon five more people to join them. Warren also floated having appellate court judges come up to the Supreme Court to uh, like join them to decide on certain cases. Um, so it, it's a really interesting idea. There's not a clear-cut um like consensus about how that would be done. Uh, people on the right are uh, just dismayed that this is even a conversation. But I think it's pretty interesting. Well, the other um, proposal that I've heard is that uh, Democrats say if we are successful in getting the Senate, holding on to the House, of course, getting the Senate and winning the White House in 2020, we will add to Seats to the Supreme Court. Yeah, just a simple, <laughs> make just, it 11. <laughs> yeah, make it 11 and basically a simple power grab, right? Yeah. The, the concern that I have with that is that the next time a Republican is elected president, they're going to say, hey, they did it. We're going to do it. So I then think, you get up to 13 or 15 or whatever. Right. I think that that's sort of the basis <laughs> of this, like, make it a 15-member court, five Republicans, five. Is this idea that, like, you know... Mm-hmm. Then, then this can be mutually beneficial without, uh, you know, it, it being this like blatant power grab that feels feels great for you <laughs> until you're not in power anymore. <laughs> right, right. But uh, for for one thing, unlike the electoral college, this would not take an amendment to the constitution. No, it would not. And Marco Rubio actually because and the has, constitution does not say only nine justices. Exactly. One time there were eleven, and one time there were six. Right, so. and. The Marco Rubio has actually introduced legislation to keep it at nine members that like so there's these there's an attempt to kind of codify this nine members, but it's not codified in the Constitution. Uh, There is no law saying it has to be nine members. There's nothing magical about nine. Many people might remember when we had eight justices and there was a lot of like split decisions and 
you know, sort of got nowhere. So a lot of people do think that it's valuable to have an odd number. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those things where it's like no one is no one is sure what the answer is. But it's an interesting thing to it's a it's an interesting intellectual exercise. Right. You know, uh, I interviewed uh, Justice Stephen Breyer during that period when there were only eight on the court. Uh, and Justice Breyer pointed out that, yeah, it, while it's true that there may be some really big cases that uh, they couldn't decide, right? Like probably 95% of the workload of the court wasn't impacted by it. Well, and that's funny because... The f- Maybe 95 is too high, but the vast, vast majority of the cases that we I, never hear about sure, and, and the work of the court just went along and who cared, right? It was They got along fine with, for the most part with just eight. Well, and I think I remember <clears throat> hearing him say that um, in, in your interview or some other interview, but it's funny, like, those 5% of cases really matter. They matter <laughs> yeah, no, so no, much. No, are, right. <laughs> you know? No. Those are like marriage equality and you know, they're the big, they're <laughs> abortion the... rights and the ones that really matter. They're the big ones, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so you, I, I think the odd number is is a good thing. To yeah, it's to. valuable. Yeah. Right. Um, but so those who are arguing for, and I've heard Pete Buttigieg make this case, for uh, expanding the membership on the Supreme Court, say, and I think Elizabeth Warren uses the phrase too. This is a way to depoliticize the court. Yeah, but isn't it really? Maybe, I mean, someone no. could also say this is a way to politicize the, the court. The court is so political, and I'm sort of of the mind that like pretending otherwise is futile. And these are not. These are. Like the idea of this 15 member court, half Democrat picked by Democrats, half picked by Republicans, you know, and then they pick the last five. And like that is an attempt to sort of make sure that there's some consensus. But that doesn't depoliticize it. Like you are all you're yeah. starting yeah. from the premise of five picked by Republicans and five picked by Democrats. And I think it's valuable for us to all just acknowledge how political the court is and not to pretend otherwise. And of course, I understand like I'm not. I'm not, uh, you know, a wonderful, like, jurisprudential mind, and I'm sure that this would anger so many people to hear me say, but it's just like, we can be real about the court, and we can be real about the way that the American people think about the court. It's a deeply political body, and pretending otherwise is futile. Mm -hmm. Um, You've been, uh, the other rock star in 2018, um, in addition to Stacey Abrams, we talked about her a little earlier here, uh, was Andrew Gillum yes. in Florida. Uh, yes. w- what's he up to? Andrew Gillum just launched a enormous voter registration um, endeavor, basically. Um, his goal is to register a million new voters in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, super possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I think... So he announced, I guess, two weeks ago, it feels like a lifetime ago, that uh, on March 20th, which was Wednesday, he was going to be making a big announcement. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it is legal to not run for president. Like, we don't, you know. And I sat there and was like, you know, the gubernatorial race is not up. There's no Senate race. There's like, I was like, like, they just flipped a house, like the house seat where he lives. And so I was like, I guess he's running for president. And turns out he's doing something way cooler. Um, 
he has started this voter registration endeavor. And I think it could be incredibly valuable. Um, There's been some analysis recently about uh, how many, like just how much Democrats have lost their voter registration edge in Florida. It's fallen by about 400,000 voters in the last 10 years. And many of your listeners probably remember um, Gillum lost his race by about 60,000 votes. Yeah. Um, uh, And... This is his effort to really try and give Democrats an edge again in Florida. It's also an incredibly admirable fight for democracy. I will also say, you know, an interesting side note to this. Um, Abrams is talking a little bit about running for president, um, gets thrown around as a running mate for sure. But her real passion is voter protection Gillum has now... Um, and rightfully so, after what we saw in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gillum is now working on voter <laughs> registration. And um, there was an interesting interview in the Times with Gillum, um, where this Times reporter noted the other you know, high-profile loss in 2018 was O'Rourke's Senate race. And O'Rourke is the only one of the three of them running for president, which yeah. is just interesting as optics. Um, and, and Gillum got asked about this, and he said, listen, man, like... We're used to working, like, uh, you know, referring to him and Abrams. And I yeah. just thought that was interesting. Um, so I think he's doing, I think this will be really, really neat. But this comes on top of the initiative that passed in yeah. Florida. Yeah. Giving the vote to ex-felons. Yeah. Amendment 4 was, uh, you know, to me, one of the most wonderful triumphs of the 2018 election. Um, it re-enfranchised more than a million people with felony convictions in Florida. That many? I thought it was, yeah. A million. Whoa. Whoa. A million. Yeah. 1.4 yeah. million people. It is remarkable how many people were, uh, you know, unable to access the ballot box. Um this has been a really beautiful thing. I've been down to Florida, um, went with some people who were able to register to vote for the first time. Lots of tears. Lots. Of, it was really beautiful. Um, and just this week, the Florida House, a Florida House committee advanced a bill that would not allow people to register to vote until they had paid any court fines and fees, even if they weren't part of their sentence from a judge. And the whole point of Amendment 4 is that as soon as your sentence is complete, including any fines and court fees, uh, you're able to vote. This so, may, this is a poll tax. Yeah. So this is an attempt to undermine Amendment 4. Absolutely. A- yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And amount to a poll tax. Unless yeah. you pay this, you can't vote. Absolutely. Right. It's as simple as that. It's passed the one uh, it house. It came out of a House committee. So it will now be voted on by the whole Florida House. But- it, there's a chance that this could become law, and it's really concerning. Yeah. No, this story is horrifying. It's I, I saw really this earlier terrifying. this week, and I just thought to myself, you know, this is the clearest example of Republicans realizing that they don't have the people on their side, so they're going to do everything that they could do to keep the people from voting. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, to be clear for sure, Amendment 4... There was a there was a bipartisan consensus around it, like the Americans for Prosperity, which is the Koch brothers, you know, whole evil empire got behind Amendment four. People being able to have a second chance after they've served their time is not a partisan issue. What we do know is that the criminal justice system disproportionately affects black and brown Americans. We know that black and brown Americans are 
a huge part of the Democratic Party base. And there is already early data from Tampa's uh, mayoral election showing just how much the electorate is changing after Amendment 4. It's Hmm. blacker and it's more Democratic and it's older. And that is freaking out Republicans (laughs) in Florida. Uh, Back to this voter registration drive. Is Gillum, so is he building basically an army of volunteers to go out and register people or what? The details of this are not totally clear. Um, He has a lot of money left over from his race that I think is uh, Hmm. like in his – in his pack, in his that he's able to kind of like but, flip into right. this like voter rich, and then um, I assume you know people love him still, so I assume that people will be happy to volunteer. There was a, a um, they registered with the like uh, Department of the State Elections that uh, handles third party voter registration, as in like outside of outside of either party, um, and but you can register as a Democrat or a Republican uh, through them. And it, but it's not uh, necessarily affiliated with the party. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that they're going to be really successful. Yeah. No, that, that is a real public service. I, mean, I agree. Ideas. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. Good for him. And good for you for coming in today. All of right. course. Have a great weekend. You too, Bill. We started it out right here on the Bill Press Show. No better place. Addie Baird from Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hour number this two is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is day three of the uh, George Conway, Donald Trump uh, Twitter spat. Uh, And every day it gets uglier and uglier. Kellyanne Conway caught in the middle. Uh, No, actually, she's on Donald Trump's side. We know that. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Friday, March 22nd? Uh, Good to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. You are part of it, and we welcome you to be a full member of it by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, as we tromp through the big headlines of the day, uh, whether it's happening here in Washington, D.C., around the country, or around the globe. Uh, We've got it covered. We'll tell you what's going on, and you tell us what it all means to you, your community, to your family, by sending us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show, among the big stories. We'll be talking about uh, today. Uh, Yes, indeed, there is a potential, it's reported, big surprise coming from Joe Biden that he might may not only just announce himself that he's running for president, but he might be announcing whom he wants as his vice presidential running mate. Uh, And meanwhile, uh, in addition to his Twitter spat with uh, George Conway, 
Donald Trump just can't let go of criticizing John McCain either. Here to help us through this next hour, particularly taking a look at all the latest on the 2020 front from the from inside elections, Leah Ascanarium. Hello, Leah. Nice Hi. to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, this is this is your moment, huh? This is your time. I mean, it's just starting. I don't. I feel like 2018 was was the time. Now we have this kind of presidential primary where. I don't know what's going to happen yet. But there's still so going to be a lot of House and Senate seats coming up. There are. There, in 2020, There right? are, and I'm glad you've remembered because a lot of people seem <laughs> a lot to of have people, forgotten. I know, I know, exactly. And yeah, lots to get into. Again, we want to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... Hello? This I hit the, the wrong button. I hit the wrong button. listening? Yeah, yeah, I'm, no, I'm here. I just hit the, little, hit the wrong button. Sorry. Sorry. It's Friday. What How can long I do? you been doing I'm this? not used to you being here on a Friday. <laughs> All right. Here are a couple of other stories making news. All right. Think about this before you log into Facebook today, because there is a new report that says that hundreds of millions of Facebook users have their passwords sitting out in the open in plain sight. This was a story uh, where they they found out that Facebook, they obviously have to keep this information, right? And they put them uh, in an unprotected data part of their data storage. Now, Facebook said, to be clear, these passwords were never visible to anybody publicly and anybody outside of Facebook. But Facebook employs thousands and thousands of people. So anybody could have gone in there that worked at the company and seen them. You'd like to think that if this was your password, it's yours, and they would encrypt it, and it would be very highly protected, but that was not the case. Can we just accept the fact that there is no right of privacy anymore? I mean, the idea that there's any protection from these big high-tech companies, I mean, forget about it. Yeah. Every day there's another story. It's scary, man. I I I know. I hate it. All right, so this story is uh, sad for a lot of different reasons, but... You know, when you try and climb Mount Everest and you don't make it to the top, in other words, you die, there's really no way to get you down. You, they just leave you there uh, and yeah. your body stays up there. Well, because of climate change, there's oh not as much snow up there oh and a lot of bodies are being uncovered. So people that are hiking Everest and seeing it, they're seeing more bodies. Now, there has been an effort because some of them are farther down from the summit to move, remove some of them from the mountain. But they, again, they never knew that those bodies existed until recently because cli- the climate is changing mm. so much that the snow is is melting. I'd want to stay on the mountain. Leave me on the mountain. No, I, I'm with you, man. If I'm ever going to do that, leave me up there. Of course, the chances that I'm ever going to do that. <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to be a decision that anyone's going to have to make for me. Right you know? There. I think climbing Everest is scary enough Exactly. Oh. bodies on your way up. Goodness, that, that's never going to happen no, for me. No, never going to happen. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. It'll be no surprise when Joe Biden announces for president. But will he have a surprise running mate announced at the same time? That's the latest rumor, folks, stirring up the 2020 contest. Hello, hello, hello. On a Friday, March 22nd. Welcome here to the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today as we join you online 
on the radio and on television, coast to coast and around the globe, actually, online. From our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where Leah Ascanari... Ascarinam. You're doing... Ascarinam. I did it right the first time. Ascarinam. You're almost there. (laughs) Who covers the House and the Senate races in particular for inside elections. Joining us here in studio. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pretty exciting. What do you think about this Joe Biden rumor reported by Axios yesterday uh, that uh, he might, when he announces, announce that my running mate is none other than Stacey Abrams. It's a way to shake up the race, isn't it? Yeah, it's a way to stand out in a crowded field, have a running mate already ready to go, which nobody else has. So that is that is different. Um, And someone whom everybody's in love with. Yes. uh, I mean, she's a Democratic sweetheart, up and comer, um, hasn't been around national politics for a very long time. So she doesn't have a lot of the baggage that Joe Biden would bring Mm -hmm. to a primary. Um, But there's also I mean, it would be a little unconventional to announce this early on. We don't really know how the primary is going to take shape yet. So I think it could be a little risky to decide this early on what the what you need to stand out in a field. But one of the things that, that, that you, we could talk about the dis- and advantages and disadvantages, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, disadvantages, I guess, it looks like a gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. It looks like maybe an act of desperation on his part. I can't win this alone. Mm-hmm. But people will say that. I mean, look, this is politics, so right. know, he's, uh, he's open open season on, on anybody running. Um, but on the other side, the advantages, it seems to me, would be it would be certainly very gather a lot of media attention and a lot of buzz, right? For sure. Right, and I mean, Stacey Abrams has her own fundraising apparatus. She has yep. her own connections. Uh, in the event that Georgia gets a little bit competitive, depending on kind of how the national environment shapes up, I mean, that could be a huge asset having somebody who nearly won statewide in Georgia on a presidential ticket. And people say some of the strikes against Joe Biden are. He's older. Mm-hmm. He's a male. Mm-hmm. He's white. Yeah. I mean, this balances that out, right? Yeah. And he's got some things in the criminal justice area Anita Hill, the crime, mm-hmm. the criminal justice bill, his views on busing in the past that, uh, you know, has caused some problems in the African American community. Again, this could help balance that out. Right. I mean, he's so. going to. His biggest hurdle in a primary is just that, is that he's running in a primary, not in a general election. So we do know that Democrats, um, at least in polling, have generally said that when they're looking for a candidate, one of the things that they're looking for or one of the most important things they're looking for is somebody who could beat Donald Trump. And it seems like voters do think that he would be the the kind of candidate who would do that. But if you're looking at today's Democratic uh, primary electorate, just today's Democratic Party, um, Joe Biden doesn't really fit in ideologically or in terms of his demographics, like you just mentioned. Um, so it's going to be, I think, a bit of a struggle, but he also has some of the highest name ID. I think our question is how high is his ceiling and how low is his floor? Because you don't really need, if we continue to have this many uh, candidates in the primary field, he might be able to when the I when in Iowa with 25 percent is that enough and are there enough Democrats are, are there 25 percent of Democratic 
party progressives, kind of the Democratic base, who would go for somebody like Joe Biden. Right. I, uh, I'm i not saying that there, there's no other, none of the other candidates could. Mm. But I do think that a Biden-Abrams ticket could beat Trump-Pence. I think it'd be a very strong ticket and very and very strong chance of beating and nothing's absolute, nothing's guaranteed of beating Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Now, again, some of the others could too, depending on who they have running with them. But I'm saying I think it'd be a strong ticket. But you're right; they have to get through the primary first. Now, Peter, do we have the latest on our poll? Can we check that? Because I, I was going to, I can mention the numbers that we had in the last hour. I don't know whether they've changed. Uh, yeah, let me t- let me take a look here because we we do have a poll up there about whether or not you would vote for them. Now the uh, early comments were right. all saying they can't vote for him in the primary, but they but would they vote for him in the general. Uh, it's still not great for Biden. Thirty six percent of you said yes, you would vote for a Biden Abrams ticket in the primary and general elections. Forty five percent of you say no. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And, and a lot of people, this is the, Lynn, who is not the only person to say, I would much rather see an mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren, Stacey Abrams ticket, which, again, mm-hmm. as you pointed out earlier, sort of Stacey Abrams decision to, to make. Stacey yeah. to mm-hmm. decide if she's going to run with anybody and which one she could pick. Or Let if me she runs you. for Senate. <laughs> or if she runs for yeah. Senate. Right. Right. Uh, I have to say, if Stacey Abrams approached any one of them, they probably would say, you did Damn right, you're my choice, or you, you, you're with me, right? If she went to Elizabeth Warren or to Kamala Harris or to Beto O'Rourke and said, I'd like to be a running mate, they probably would say, you got it, right? I have a feeling, and this is more of a hunch than anything else, that whatever the Democratic ticket is will probably be one male, one female. Uh, I have the same So hunch. I don't yeah. know if an Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris would choose another I think woman. Be, I, I think there's a good chance they choose somebody like Beto O'Rourke. Right, so... Uh, but I want to come back to those numbers because um, uh, it seems to me on the math, like, so 36% say yes, 45% on a Abram, on Biden-Abram ticket mm-hmm. in the primary, according to our mm-hmm. scientific poll. Yes, here. on t- Twitter.com. 36% say yes, 45% say no. Now, that sounds like they get crushed because they lose by nine points. But the point I made earlier is, if they get 36%, that 45% is split among... 36% in Iowa probably wins Iowa. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's that, how it was for... Because the 45% is split among 15 other candidates or 14 other candidates, right? Yeah. No, I mean, in the Republican primary, in the first several states, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump went between 30 to 35% each in these primaries, and that's how much they won by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Trump started winning by more and more, but... Yeah, 36. I would be surprised if 36% in Iowa did not win the primary. Right. So it's not, it, it's it, it's better than it sounds. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about all the other options. I mean, yeah, especially yeah, if you're doing, right. a, no. you're doing both uh, candidates, the vice president and president. There are so many mix and match opportunities. 36% is a pretty strong number, in right. my opinion. Uh, no, that's uh, so of the field, pardon me, so far. Um, who do you th- is it too early to sort out and I know we're doing polling all the time who are seen now as the more serious candidates and those who are just sort of along for the ride so I think it's I think it is a little bit early and I say that a little bit with a little bit of hesitation because when we talk about Senate and House races we can usually tell pretty early 
when candidates are just kind of throwing their names in for the sake of running for office. We can tell because they haven't raised money, they haven't hired a team, they haven't contacted the right people. Mm-hmm. But in the presidential race, it seems like just about every candidate who's who we're talking about has a team, has fundraising, um, has connections. Of course, some have more money than others, Beto O'Rourke being right. and Bernie Sanders. Um, but it's also still so early that I wouldn't discount a candidate who, you know, raised a million dollars in their their first week instead of six million dollars. Right. Uh, but the polls show, I mean, the one that, that sort of in every poll I've seen that come out the top, a lot of his name recognition mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, Biden, of course, Ber- mm-hmm. who's not in yet, but will be. Yeah. Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren. Beto's Beto, up there. And Beto. In the last poll, I think Beto might have been a little bit above um, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren. Actually. Elizabeth Warren, yeah. right. But they're certainly serious contenders, right? Oh, absolutely. But and I would dismiss the... Amy Klobuchar or uh, Gillibrand. Or... And a second here, maybe not quite there, but could get there, right, would be Amy Klobuchar, even Pete Buttigieg. Huh? Right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, part of the reason why, I mean, Biden obviously has a, a long record behind him, one of them being vice president of the United States. Um, Bernie Sanders just ran a national campaign a couple years ago. Um, Beto O'Rourke just ran a huge campaign um, last year. So they have all of these connections ready to go. We haven't really seen the other candidates. We haven't given them enough time yet to start to consolidate their support. Um, so it's just way too early to know whether or not that, you know, those candidates who right now are polling in the single digits, whether they'll start to rise in the polls in the next year. Right. Um, it seems every day I think of the, that that the first Democratic debate in June mm-hmm. is going to be pretty important this year, right? It's going to be the first time that Americans have a chance to see a, a lot of these people. Right. Not, not the first time for Joe Biden, but you know, the first time for Andrew Yang or the first time for Amy Klobuchar from absolutely for most of them. And right? I mean, before. These before the race started, a lot of people hadn't heard of Amy Klobuchar. I mean, this is you know we're in D.C. and I think we we right. we, we see these people, but I mean people are just starting to hear her name now. They're going to actually see her. I know that she got some name recognition and became more known just from her CNN town hall, which is not exactly a national mm-hmm. kind of everybody's around their TV eating popcorn kind of event. At least not for me. Um, but I think we'll start to see who who really connects with voters, right? Uh, and um, and the way they're uh, the way they're going about it, I think, is going to be great because it'll be two nights in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all the rock stars will be on one night, right? Mm-hmm. They'll be they'll be mixed up, and so no people will have debate. a reason to right. No kiddies debate yeah. and 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 serious candidates debate, and people have a reason to tune in both nights because mm-hmm. they want to see. I want to see everybody. Yep, and there will be a lot of people to see. So, <laughs> <laughs> assuming everyone stays in the field, right? So, yeah, no, I think it'll. I think a lot of things will start to become clear. I would just be really skeptical of a lot of the um, analysis you're seeing this early on, and a lot of the polling you're seeing this early on. So we know that we do know who's serious. We do know who you know will be a contender, but I think it's too early to know who's in kind of. Who is going to win? Who's even in a top tier at this point? Uh, you, you you talked about all the uh, metrics that you look at to when in House and Senate races mm-hmm. uh, to determine particularly who's serious. You know if they 
they've got a staff, they've got a fundraising operation, they've got a, you know, whatever. Um, the one who seems to be not following that pattern is Beto O'Rourke, who's running the most uncon- unconventional presidential campaign I think we've ever seen. Didn't he start hiring staffers yesterday, which is a big step from his Texas but, race where he didn't have any hired consultants or no pollsters? Yeah, he said he never takes polls, right? But now I think he is changing his team and strategy for a presidential race. But even so, he's doing this after he announced, right? Right. Uh, after his first forays out there. And, not, and like he's in New Hampshire and he's going to every county like in New Hampshire, right? right? Driving around. No other candidate has done that. I guess my question is, is he proving that you can do it today, you know, the way you want to do it? No, uh, because we don't know how he's going to do yet. I mean, he did that in Texas. Yeah. Um, and he ended up, you know, because getting really close in that race, but we don't know if he would have gotten closer if he had... A conventional campaign. Exactly. So, I mean, definitely part of the appeal of his unconventional campaign was what drove his fundraising. So you can't dismiss that. But there are people, there are Democratic strategists who wonder if this was kind of, his campaign was kind of a whole bunch of people interested in politics sitting around a table saying, you know, it'd be cool if we tried getting in a van and, you know, driving around Texas. But it could work. I mean, and it does sound like he's is trying to find a better combination of that kind of unconventional campaign that really attracts voters who are looking for something new and starting to get a more professional campaign team mm-hmm. around him, even if it's not doesn't reach the level of Joe Biden's campaign team, which I think we can expect will be a pretty established um, group of consultants. So he's a younger, exciting um white male with a huge grassroots base, Mm -hmm. fundraising base and volunteer base, right? Mm -hmm. Does that pose a greater threat to Bernie Sanders or to Joe Biden? Hmm. Um, Well, what's interesting is that Beto's policies, I think, probably fall closer to in between Biden and O'Rourke. And his personality is completely completely different from both of them. <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess I'm saying I don't know. I'd imagine that it would um, take away more from Biden just because both of them are, are really personality-driven um, and because uh, Bernie has such a core group of supporters that I think will be harder to peel off, um, especially that kind of core group that you know has supported him since 2016. Um, and, Bi- and Beto is much closer to Biden on the issues. Um, I mean, he's more of a centrist. Than, his voting than, record is more centrist. Right, right. Um, I don't know what his rhetoric and what his actual policy proposals will look like now uh, that he's running for president. We don't know a lot about his policy exactly. proposals because he's been pretty vague. Right, you know, we're not the only ones who we don't need, know. We need quality health care for everybody. Okay, what does that mean? right. But when I mean, we did see a bunch of House candidates run with similar messages last year who were pretty successful, people who ran on, you know, everybody should have access to health care, not Medicare for all or single payer. And some of those candidates ended up being um, pretty successful. It's, I mean, we have to figure out whether voters are looking for a specific set of policies or if they're looking for somebody's approach to governing. And I think it will most likely come down to approach to governing for those, for people like 
Theta O'Rourke supporters. Now, this is not a an election year, uh, except for Virginia. Well, and three governors' races. Is that right? There okay. are three governors' three races. Three governors' races. Didn't Sorry. know that. Yeah, okay. no, we've Good. got it. Is it's always an election year, and three special elections before summer. So. I'm sorry. It's always an election year. There we go. That's why we have the experts in from inside elections. Uh, so let's talk about those three governor's races in a minute. But So uh, a month ago, everybody was saying, Virginia, oh, God, this is going to be such a disaster. You've got the attorney general, the lieutenant governor, the governor. They're all in trouble. Now they're it's... all going to be gone. Republicans could be in charge. <laughs> Nothing has happened. What, hap- what happened? Nothing. Right. Yeah. Well, it looks like uh, I mean, I think Northam's idea to wait it out ended up working okay. The polling did say that voters were okay with him staying put because he apologized. Um, And then when Justin Fairfax got accused of um, Mm -hmm. sexual misconduct, then there wasn't a clear kind of backup. So then Ralph Northam stays put because. Fairfax right. can't take over, and then, of course, the further down the line you go, the more problems you have. So it's kind of like, I mean, that scandal that I was just felt like it was about to rock the entire state of Virginia. Totally. It's like almost kind of forgot it happened. Uh, and everybody's saying at the time that the real downside of that was that the Democrats had a chance in the elections this year to really take control of the both houses of the, mm-hmm. of the of the legislature. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like that might still happen, right? That this scandal did not derail those chances after all. Doesn't look like it. I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen polling. We don't look at those state uh, legislature races as closely as federal and governor's races. But from what I've heard, <laughs> I mean, it seems like uh, Virginians are still moving pretty far to the left. And I mean, we're not expecting it to be... Um, we're not expecting it to do make a U-turn anytime soon back toward Republicans. It, what's interesting to me about this, I'm certainly not the first person to make this uh, <clears throat> comment, but while all of these uh, men uh, created these problems on their own and they should have to deal with them, there is something to be said about the influence of Donald Trump on politics. Totally. Oh, yeah. Don't apologize. Well, I, mean, I just shouldn't say don't apologize, but don't leave office. Uh Keep going after it. Just keep fighting. Keep keep working at this issue, right? And well, eventually, it'll just people will get tired of talking about it. It is. It also is. Don't apologize. Just double down. I mean, just, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they've all or ignored or ride it out and just yeah. and 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 our news cycle today <laughs> changes so fast that you know, a couple of days they'll be talking about something else and also muddy the issue, right? Like in Northam's defense, he did apologize, yeah. but he also left it very unclear as to what his role was like we still don't know if he's one of the guys in the picture or not he said he was then he said he wasn't he's going to have a private investigator figure that out yeah haven't heard haven't heard about anything that. about that yeah, we right followed up on that i mean no. and also right after that we had all of these national reporters digging into people's yearbooks and finding other cases of politicians wearing blackface yeah. in college um which i think also muddied the water because then it became an issue of you know, are we going to expel everyone from office who did this? Which, I mean, while there's definitely an argument to do that, um, I think it became less politically appealing for a lot of people who would have otherwise uh, championed that Tell idea. Tell us about these other three governor's races. So there's Kentucky, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Uh, so Kentucky, uh, the governor's Matt Bevin, 
he was recently in the news for the chicken pox thing. I don't know if you've seen that he ex- Well, just for the record, yeah, Matt Bevin said, no, we're not going to vaccinate our kids. We want them to get the chicken pox, basically. I mean, he didn't say that. but, but I mean... He, no, he did say that. He, he wanted he, them to get the chicken pox. He had parties with kids with chicken pox so everybody else could get the chicken pox and therefore they would get it behind them. Right. right. I mean, well, I mean, and I actually looked this up afterward. The chicken pox vaccine, I don't think was like available widely until like 1995. So I think there was some of that before 1995, if I remember the way, from my childhood. I, I absolutely took part in a chicken <laughs> pox party. My parents <laughs> that was a thing. had me hang out um, with uh, w- with a family of kids that had gotten chicken pox so we could get it and then we get it over with. Yep, so you don't get it as an adult. But mm-hmm. he gets in trouble. I mean, Matt Bevin- shingles instead. Goodness gracious. Well, but Matt Bevin gets in trouble for a lot of, he's, he says a lot of things. Um, so he gets in trouble every now and then. He's not super popular with members of his own party. Um, and so he could be vulnerable, possibly, Republican. Um, one of the Democrats running against him is Andy Bashir, who is the son of the former former Democratic mm-hmm. governor, uh, Steve Bashir. So there's one. Then you have uh, Louisiana, where you have a Democratic incumbent, John Bell Edwards. Right. Um, and then Mississippi, you have an open seat. Uh, Bell Edwards is running for re-election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, he's running for re-election. Um, and it's unclear who the Republican frontrunner will be in that race. Um, there's a congressman running. Uh, there's a businessman running. But some of the high-profile candidates, like uh, Senator Kennedy, decided not to run. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be a competitive race. And Mississippi will actually be possibly a competitive race, too, because Jim Hood, um, who is the attorney general in Mississippi and has won, I believe, four statewide elections there, is likely to be the Democratic nominee for an open seat. So um, we do have three three competitive yeah. elections. A Democratic governor of possibly of, of Mississippi? There's already one in Louisiana. I mean, I still think that – I mean, Republicans still have an advantage in Mississippi. Um but uh, it's not it's not unthinkable. Right. Um, you did mention that your primary focus, your primary focus, mm-hmm. are House and Senate races, mm-hmm. right? Which certainly will get overshadowed in in twenty twenty. It's the truth. Uh, but on the on the Senate, this this is the Senate will see a map that is more favorable to Democrats than the last time. Correct. Yes. Do, do you know how many seats are up and what the breakdown is? So the I mean, it's hard for it to be less favorable to oh, Democrats yeah, than yeah. last year. So uh, the competitive seats we're looking at, um, there are two Republicans running in Hillary Clinton states. So that's uh, Cory Gardner in Colorado and Susan Collins in Maine. And then there are two Democrats running in uh, Donald Trump states. One of them is Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh we don't know yet if Roy Moore is going to run again. I, I was just going to say, I've heard that Roy Moore is planning on running again, right? I can't imagine how Jones wins without facing Roy Moore at this point <laughs> in 2020 in Alabama. But you never know. He's defied expectations before. Um, and the other Democrat running in a Trump state is uh, Gary Peters in uh, Michigan. Michigan. Huh? Um, though uh, Michigan, Michigan was pretty has... good for Democrats in 2018. right. right. So those are the states we're watching most closely. But there's also North Carolina. Tom Tillis is seeking re-election, um, and North Carolina will be a battleground state in the Senate and uh, definitely the presidential race. So. Right. Uh, and Democrats would need to pick up uh, 
two. Uh, we're at. They would need to pick up forty-seven. So three. They're, yeah. But if they win the presidency, it's either three or four, depending on if they win the presidency. Right. Um, but on, on Tom Tillis, he's a good uh, indicator of the fact that Donald Trump is going to play a key role in in, mm-hmm. in Senate races as well in 2020, right? I mean, here's Tom Tillis, who vowed, wrote an op-ed saying he could never support this emergency declaration that the president uh, signed. And then uh, when the vo- final vote came down and Tom Tillis had been warned that we may primary you if you go against the president, he flipped. I mean, he, he right. caved. I mean, the question is, what voters did he really turn off by flipping? I mean, we know that he would have repelled Trump supporters in North Carolina if he had voted with or voted against, voted with the Democrats. He would have repelled right. Trump supporters. By turning around, I mean, obviously the argument that he's a flip-flopper isn't great in a general election, but I don't know if it would be as harmful as voting against the president. Um so I think it was probably a difficult political decision. Um, one of the things about North Carolina that's interesting is in 2018, there weren't any um, statewide elections there, so we don't have much to compare it to. Mm. But if you look at the overall raw votes for the House there, Democrats actually came within 2% of Republicans. Um, and Democrats actually didn't even have a candidate in one of their House races. So it's possible that if Democrats had candidates in every race, the popular votes in for the House in North Carolina would have gone to Democrats. Not that that matters in congressional right. races, but that does matter in Senate and presidential races. So is Mitch McConnell up this year? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us, just please, please tell us that Mitch McConnell's in trouble. Well, I can't do that, but I can tell you <laughs> oh, that there's... If you remember from 2018, Amy McGrath ran yes. a really high-profile yes. campaign, right. raised right. crazy amounts of money for a House candidate, and then came short and lost her uh, House race against Andy Barr in the 6th District. So she is reportedly considering running for Senate. She's acting like she's running for Senate. Um, the reason why I'm who, not— who McCon- uh, I'm just trying to—Mitch's c- uh, opponent the last time, a woman— Um. I, Amy, uh, no. no, not Amy. Yeah, they're thinking of Amy McGrath. Allison Lundergan. Yes, it was. Yes, yes, it, yeah. Actually, hats tip to Adam Smith who shouted out. Our oh, next right. guest gave us a little heads up that, there. Thank yeah. you, Adam. Uh, yeah, she was a great candidate. I, She's gotten in um, a little bit of trouble recently in state mm-hmm. press. So I, she was so going she, to run for governor and then didn't. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I don't foresee her running again. Um. The issue with Amy McGrath running is that in order to win statewide races in Kentucky, you have to win the Yarmouth District, and you have to win the 6th District. And Amy McGrath just lost the 6th District. Uh So I don't know if you can carry the state of Kentucky without carrying the 6th District. It hasn't happened in recent history. Of course, the country is changing. Maybe that will, maybe she can, but it seems like a really difficult path. Maybe we should get John Yarmouth to run. Yeah, man. Our guy, you know, he's a our frequent buddy. guest on the show, our buddy, chair now. If you hear the, anything, feel free to let of me the know. Of the House Budget Committee. you creating news He's here. also chair of the Bur- Bourbon Caucus. That's right. Well, in that case. I mean, one of the most powerful caucuses. Uh, in Kentucky. Well, I would say powerful. <laughs> what? No, I, I mean, yes. <laughs> in the United States Capitol. Not one of the most powerful, but one of those most popular caucuses. <laughs> when they have meetings of the Bourbon Caucus, you'd be amazed. 
Everybody shows up. I Shocking. Just wanna, I just want to point out, we have members of the Bourbon Caucus on the show. We have members of the Pot Caucus, pot caucus on, on the, the show. show. Yeah. Do you guys right. have a gin caucus? Because that would be, I'm not really a bourbon caucus kind of person. There should be a gin caucus. A red wine Cabernet caucus. <laughs> Cabernet caucus. I would be. Uh, Mike Thompson from California. Oh, look at this. Yeah, he's head of the Cabernet caucus. Oh. Thank you for that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Somebody ought to tell Mike I just appointed him. Head of that. <laughs> Any other vices he is out the, there? He let is us the know. absolute a leading vintner, a member of Congress, and um, and a connoisseur of fine wines. Next time you have him on the show, you should have me on right <laughs> yeah. after. Let's just get all of them in, all of the vice caucuses, and see what uh, trouble we can start. All right, and let's do it on a Friday. For Amen. sure. Okay, Amen. you got it. Hey, Leah, great to see you. Thanks so much great for coming to in. See you, too. Uh, you can follow Leah's work uh, at uh, Inside Elections, insideelections.com. Uh, yes, and the aforementioned Adam Smith gets his turn here at the table coming up next on all the. Uh, you talk about corruption, you think Adam Smith. Uh, coming up here on The Bill Press Show, I'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And this is the Bill Press Show here Friday, March 22nd. So good to have you with us as we uh, roll into the weekend. Almost, not there yet, not there yet, but we're on our way, well on our way. Uh, And we are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where we're brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, those good men and women of the Teamsters Union nationwide under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. Uh, check out their good work at their website, teamster.org. We salute them. Thank them for the support of the program. And welcome to the program from uh, N Citizens United Strategic Partnership Director, Adam Smith. Hey, Adam, it's good to see you. Hey, Bill. Good to be back. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. You know, uh, lots, lots, we were just teasing you before about uh, <laughs> you are uh, our, uh, the most corrupt guest we ever have on the show, <laughs> uh, because you're here to talk about a corruption of all kinds. We mean that in the nicest way. No, I know. Thank you. So also, you're the last guest today of the week. So there may be a couple of things that you're going to have to want to comment on that maybe not be right your specialty, but we just got to get them. I'll do the best I we can. We got to get them in, so <laughs> yeah. you got to help us Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Definitely. But this one, this is an issue we haven't yet talked about today, which does, I think, smell of corruption, possible corruption. Um, yesterday afternoon, uh, Donald Trump had a little uh, event at the White House where he signed an executive order supposedly dealing with free speech on college campuses, right? Now, it's worth pointing out, the executive order did nothing, actually. Yeah. It, it's just basically, said, we're all for free speech on campuses. Well, like, who's not, right? But um, let, let's let him explain kind of what what it's all about. Under the policy I am announcing today, federal agencies... By the way, Peter, I'm sorry. I just want you to know, this is late in the afternoon. Yeah. So the first thing to notice is he sounds like he's in the the middle of a nap or needs one. Yeah, yeah. Under the policy I am announcing today, federal agencies will use their authority under various grant-making programs to ensure that public universities protect cherish, protect the First Amendment and First Amendment rights of their students or risk losing billions and billions of dollars of federal taxpayer dollars. 
again, with all the excitement he can muster. Billions of dollars of taxpayer dollars. Yeah, Yeah. right. That he's threatening colleges, we're going to withhold your money unless you allow, um, you know, any crazy right winger or left winger or whatever just to to appear on your campus. Again, the executive order doesn't do anything, uh, doesn't have the authority to do anything on those campuses. But what I wanted to particularly pray for you is then he, he segues Again, off script. He segues into student loans, and he has makes a very interesting comment about when he when he loans immediately he triggers the business side of Donald Trump. Here he is. With 43 million people in the United States are currently working to pay off student loans, and we'll be talking about that very soon. We're going to work on that very soon. I've always been very good with loans and. <laughs> I love loans. <laughs> I love other people's money. <laughs> and we're going to work on it. I mean, well, it's astounding. Well, and that, that money with those loans, and you're going to, too. You're going to do something that's going to be fair and good, but we're going to work with you very closely. Yeah, I love loans. He just I completely love made that up, by the money. way. He has huh? no plans on taking on student Oh, no, debt. no, no, no. And no. the fact that, that he said that the week the, Do- the Deutsche Bank story That's came out. That's what I wanted to point out. Yes. Right. The, the, you know, there's that big story this week. I mean, the, Trump's relationship with Deutsche Bank is not uh, – It's everyone – I've been talking about it, what people know about it. But, like, their willingness to, like, default – him default and they keep going back to him because he was, like, some rich American that people knew about because they were trying to get into the market I think says – a lot about like how we got to where we are where like people just because they were like famous names get to have all of these opportunities that people other people don't and they just kept going back to them right that, that's what, that's why I wanted to play it for you because it's really a, a a little window into Donald Trump's business empire right yeah which is all based on debt and loans yeah I mean, what was it? Two billion dollars? Something Deutsche like Bank that. Bank gave him yeah. over the years. Yeah, and he's like, I, I sort of appreciate that he's self-aware enough to know that, like, you could sort of hear it in there that he's like, yeah, I got, I played these folks. They kept giving me money, and I kept defaulting on their loans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. And, it's and wild. again, I love other people's money. Yeah, it's like his foundation, where yeah. it was proven, and they had to, it, they were forced to shut yeah. the foundation down because it was so phony. That's right. It was his name, but it was not his money. Yeah. Yeah. He was putting no money of his own in. He was getting money from other people and then making gifts and everything or or, or spending it on yeah. himself, uh, other people's money. Yeah. And, in the, you know, in the Michael Cohen testimony, he sort of said that, you know, some of the documents that they were providing to Deutsche Bank and others about, like, Trump's wealth were fraudulent. So um, there's just a lot of problems there. And- and, he, and also on student loans, talk about corruption, right? Student loans are oh. what the only thing you can't default on when you go bankrupt uh, because we have a system that has put that in place. So we have to pe- – people like me have to continue paying our student debt. I pay like $200 a month for the past like 15 years and I still have ways to go. Really? But like people like Donald Trump can yeah. default alone. Here he is president. Yeah. You know, obviously, your parents weren't wealthy enough to pay millions of dollars <laughs> to know. the consultants that uh, it could have gotten. Lori yeah. Laughlin, where were you in 2000, 2001? <laughs> uh, HR1, we talked, I think, the last time you were in about the uh, exciting yeah. possibility HR1 was going to pass. It is now past the House. Yes. Um, so, briefly, why is it 
what's 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 so good about it? Sure. So HR one, the For the People Act, has three key components. One is it makes it easier to vote. Mm-hmm. Things like automatic voter registration, uh, uh, reenfranchisement for felons who've served their time. Um, election security upgrades. It also ends the dominance of big money. It would uh, require dark money groups to disclose their donations. Uh, it would create a small donor matching fund system so candidates can run for office uh, on the strength of their grassroots support. And it uh, strengthens federal ethics and lobbying rules. So public officials can't profit out of the public interest. And we know who the lobbyists are who are trying to like influence policy in Washington. Mm-hmm. And it passed the House. Passed the House. A couple right. weeks ago, 100% uh, Democratic co sponsorship. Every single Democrat who was there that day, which was all but one, uh, voted for it. And so Any no, Republicans? Uh, no. There were several Republican bipartisan amendments that were added to it yeah, yeah. Uh, that have either had bipartisan co-sponsorship um, or you know, were voice voted into the bill. Uh, but no, no Republicans voted for the full thing. So now it, uh, what is its fate in the Senate? I mean, Mitch McConnell has been particularly incensed about this. Yeah, uh, yes. So Senator Tom Udall um, will be the lead sponsor for the Senate Companion. of the. It's going to be the For the People Act in the Senate. It'll be introduced soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sure the exact date, but that's going to be coming soon. Uh, and it's the same exact bill. And I will say what you said about McConnell is really interesting because he did say he will put up the Green New Deal for a vote. Right, right. But he said, I won't put up this for a vote. And you have to wonder if he, the thing about Mitch McConnell is he like his whole thing is using the levers of power to hurt his political opponents. And if he thinks the For the People Act will be a bad vote for Democrats up in 2020, you think he wouldn't put that up for a vote? I think he knows that this stuff is popular and he doesn't want to put he doesn't want to give Democrats this vote. He doesn't want to put his like vulnerable Republicans to have to vote against popular reforms like this. Uh, he also might suspect that some Republicans might vote vote for it. I think that it, I think there's going to be some stuff coming up. I don't Yes, I think that's right. It's very po- people like Susan Collins who have supported campaign finance policies in the past. Um you know, from a state where they have a public financing programs, stuff like that. I think uh they would she would people like that would be interested in it and he doesn't want that to happen. Right. Um, and so that will be introduced in the in the uh, in the Senate. And um, so far, McConnell has said it's a, an attack on democracy, right? Yeah, a, yeah. I mean, his a, basic a, argument a democratic is democratic gimmick to get more democratic gimmicks to get more democratic votes. Yeah, whatever. that's right. If we let more people vote, more people will vote Democrat. Yeah, and we can't yeah, let that happen. Right. Is basically what he's saying is more democracy is bad for Republicans. Right. Um, by the way, just um, a total aside as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of making allow getting more people to vote and and making sure that everybody's vote counts, getting rid of the electoral college. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Let's get rid of it. All right. I'm a big fan. That was Peter Buttigieg's response to. Yeah, of course, get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. that's all you have it's to say. It's anti-democratic. I think. It's totally anti-democratic. Like the small D democratic. It's 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 bad. Yeah, um, there are a couple of cases of uh, corruption that have surfaced this week. Um, one is. The, it lo- turns out that the acting defense secretary, Shanahan, is be under investigation by the inspector general of the Pentagon for um, his ties to Boeing. Oh, of all companies, right? Yeah. Right now. It, this is what happens. What do we know about this? Well, I mean, 
I think all along what we like people like me, good government activists have said is is this sort of corporate capture of the administration will lead to questions like this, right? He has said, oh, well, I will uh, recuse myself from those things, but you can't unknow what you know, right? Was he a lobbyist for Boeing or an executive, Boeing uh, executive? What was his tie? I Do we think know he was Boeing? an executive, mm-hmm. uh, but you can't unknow things, right? You can't, you, you know how the business works. You know what decisions you make, whether that'll benefit this company you work for or not. You can't turn that side of your brain off. And so, um, I think it raises real questions, and when you have what happened with Boeing this week, it shows you exactly why you need to have people in office who are not conflicted. You need to appoint people who are going to do what's best and not based on like their previous connections or their uh, financial interests. And serious questions about why it took the United States so long to temporarily at least ground these 737s. Uh, and everybody's wondering, you know, every other country in the world has happened. What's wrong with us? Well. Now it's come out several things. We don't know, right? Yeah. But several th- factors. One is there was no director of the FAA because the right. president had not appointed one. So it was just the lower people at the FAA who were making this decision. But yeah. that it sounds like they also were not making it on, on, on their own. The president of Boeing had called the president of the United States saying, we're safe. Yep. Don't do anything. We want you to stick with Boeing. Trump did for three days or whatever it was. And then now we know that the defense secretary might also have been, Yeah, we don't know I, for sure, but he might also have had a voice in this, called the president or called the FAA people and said, no, I'm from Boeing. I can tell you it's a safe plane. Don't do anything. Yeah, this is why Boeing made a contribution to Trump's inaugural committee, right? They know what they're doing. And it also, you know, it also speaks to, you know, you said Shanahan is acting. It, why this is a problem, you know, Trump really loves his acting secretaries and he has said as much because they have less accountability because they're not Senate approved. They don't have to go through the, the nomination process. So he just keeps them up there. They're more likely to toe the line with him because he's, you know, and we need to have a process where they actually go through the Senate approval process, have their hearings and get the accountability. Right. Uh, now, the other issue on in terms of uh, possible corruption uh, or certainly looks like it. There is no more serious issue we know in Washington, D.C. than using a private email server to send official oh, government emails. I mean, lock her up, uh. right? Lock her up. That was the uh, second big pillar of the Trump presidential campaign, the wall being the first one. Uh, and now we find out that Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, according to Congressman Elijah Cummings, chair of the Oversight Committee yesterday, that their attorney has admitted to members of Congress yeah. that Jared and Ivanka both used private email server, and Jared used WhatsApp. WhatsApp. WhatsApp to communicate with uh, Mohammed bin Salman from uh, Saudi Arabia. I think the rule is that everyone, anything the Trump administration criticized, they are guilty of doing. And that is the case with this. I mean, and you had Katie McFarland, who was like Michael Flynn's aide, using AOL. She was using an AOL email address. I mean, these people are just shameless. And it's... I mean, I hope the investigation will continue and that uh, the White House will stop stonewalling what a lot of what they're stonewalling right now in these like investigations. But it is bonkers. The the their willingness to do everything they said was bad. Yeah. And and here are they're communicating with foreign leaders. Yeah. Right. On. Yeah. And, an, on non secure uh, Internet. And where are the Republicans? 
Right. Where are the House and Senate Republicans who spent the entire election saying like Paul Ryan said Hillary Clinton's security clearance should be revoked because of all this? Where is right. he? Where yeah. are all these people that said this stuff about Hillary Clinton and where are they on Jared Kushner? Right. This unpaid advisor to the president. Well, obviously, the rule is it's not OK for Hillary, but it yeah. is OK for Jared and Ivanka. Yeah. It also another corruption angle to this speaks to why you shouldn't hire your children in the White House, because it's hard to fire your children once you hire your children. Right. Um, it, it, in terms of so many issues, in terms of 2020 yep. presidential politics, not getting you into the horse race and all of that, yeah. who's your candidate, but um, we have seen this surge uh, of grassroots money, particularly for Better O'Rourke and, and Bernie Sanders, but across the board. Yeah. Right. This just changes the whole landscape, doesn't it, for presidential yeah. politics? Yeah, I think it's a different race this year. You know, one, one on top of that, every single announced Democratic candidate has says they're rejecting corporate PAC money. Some of them are saying, I'm not taking lobbyist money. Some are saying, I'm not taking fossil fuel money. Elizabeth Warren says, I'm not going to attend big money fundraisers. And she's her call time right now is calling these, these like small $25 donors. And I think it's a really important... Um, for voters to see that, because I think what they're saying is we're leading by example. We're going to reject this money that you don't like, that you think is like harmful to our democracy. And it helps to build trust with them because, you know, these self restrictions are good. They're not enough, obviously. Like all of these candidates need to say, here's my plan to enact structural reform if I'm elected. But I think it's I think it's a really good sign. And I also think it helps. Um, it helps to engage voters, like cynical voters who like think that everyone's corrupt. It really helps to meet them where they are. And I think it's going to be really helpful heading into a challenge with Trump, who sort of ran on this idea of he was going to drain the swamp. It has just been incredibly corrupt. And they come in here and say, listen, we're running in a different way. We're doing this differently than Trump is and people have before. And you can trust us. It's totally transparent, too, yeah. correct? Yeah. I mean, and... Uh, with Beto O'Rourke, his average contribution of his $6.1 million is an average of $47, and Bernie was still at $27, which yeah. he was in 2016. Yeah. But, I mean, this is something I think people can identify with, right? Yeah. It's it's not, um, I don't know, one of these big donors that we know yeah, of, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... There's a lot of reasons Trump won, but I do think people really sort of bought what he was selling around draining the swamp. They said he's, they thought that he was going to fight corruption. They sort of believed that angle. And it's a really effective message for people. And I think people being able to say, like, they're leading by example, like giving up corporate PAC money, not doing big money funders. That sort of stuff's really important for people to build trust on these issues. Right. Bring us up to date on Seattle. Uh, we've talked about Seattle before. That, that this is from a city level. Yeah, oh, the vouchers, pro the democracy vouchers, vouchers program. program. Yeah. Sure. So in 2015, Seattle voters approved by like 63% uh, of democracy vouchers program, which meant uh, voters would receive four $25 vouchers and they could give those to candidates of their choice who were running for Seattle office, candidates who agreed to participate in the program. So those candidates who are set, who like, agree to strict contribution limits. Mm -hmm. And so the first uh, race was in 2017. It was a few council races. That's where it started. Um, all of the winners had, of those three races had participated in the program. Um, the, it was three races in the city attorney. All of them had participated in the program. Um, 
one of the winners was like this labor union activist and she's now city council and like one of her first issues was dealing with domestic workers and domestic worker rights um so the second cycle of use is now there's going to be an election in 2019 mm -hmm. i believe all of the vouchers have gone out and what we saw in the first cycle is that the people who gave vouchers were more representative of the city's diversity. There were a lot of more uh, first-time donors. Yeah. People who had not donated before. Um, people from more diverse ethnic backgrounds. And it really was opening up the system and diversifying the donor pool. So I'm really excited to see what happens in the second cycle. You've I think it's great. Yeah, I think they, it's great. Yes. Any other cities doing it? Uh, Seattle is currently right now the only voucher city. Okay. Well, get with it. Some of yeah. the other cities. Now, we're about to go into the weekend, uh, Adam, and so um, I have one message for you and for all of our listeners and viewers over the weekend that I want you to be best. I want oh. you to be best. Thank you. Okay? I mean, Thank you. Uh, and now some of you are asking, what does that mean, be best? Well, the only person who can tell us what it means is the head of the Be Best campaign who explained from the White House this week. The three pillars of Be Best, while being online safety, and opioid abuse. There you go. All right. There you, there you, there go. you go. What else do you need to know? <laughs> Why? They, they shoe, sort of shoehorned <laughs> opioid abuse into that. Right? <laughs> yeah, we can't figure it out. All right. I, I wish she would talk to her husband. <laughs> well, the online, the, the, the irony is that online bullying is the first one, right? Yeah. And there is no bigger online bully in the entire country. Ask George Conway. Ask the family of the late yeah, be best. senator. Uh, tweet yeah. mean things about a dead senator. I was going to say, yeah, right. Trump would have commented on be best, but he was busy tweeting about John McCain. Yeah. How do you be best? You the real troll would be to him to use that hashtag in his McCain tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Smith, always good to see you. Uh, at ncitizensunited.org. That's it. That's your weekend. Make the most of it. This we'll see you Monday. is the Bill Press Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.